Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry here on KOPN.org, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri, streaming on the web at the ORG. Yes, welcome. Glad you're with us. My name is Dick Dalton. I'm the host each week and we have the pleasure of talking to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out and today i have a returning guest i i think we do this about every year or two or three <laughs> something like that uh yeah. nikita coombs uh on facebook nikita nicola and now I can say Dr. Nikita Coombs because you just finished your PhD at Mizzou in uh, psychology, correct? Correct. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a good, uh, good run. You, you've, I'm sure you've learned a lot. Of course, there's always more to learn. You're in the uh, School of Education. Is that correct? Yeah, the so the College of Education. Oh, college. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. They keep back when I was there. It might have been a college. I, I was in that same uh, school in mm -hmm. uh, in the early seventies. Well, actually, the whole uh, decade of the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> they they made me get another bachelor's and then a a master's and then then said, well, why don't you do a PhD and so might it, as well might as well hey while you're at it <laughs> gi bill and all of course mm -hmm. that's a little different these days probably cost a little more than what the gi bill uh, yeah i can imagine yes so here you are uh how do i know you I, we've mm -hmm. kind of tracked along with each other since you came to lincoln university back mm -hmm. in oh i don't know what was it i think like 2012 2013 mm -hmm. back As, in the day yeah you had transferred into uh to mm -hmm. do some track and field mm -hmm. and uh, also finish your uh, bachelor's and i think we got you in wellness or was correct your, yeah yeah wellness. it was wellness mm -hmm. yeah so i was your advisor and then you went on to uh fayette Mm -hmm. And then got my methods. master's of ed there while I coached. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. What did you coach? I, I can't remember. I coached the track team there. Oh, the track team. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. While I was doing my um, master's. Nikita's from Kingston, Jamaica. Correct. Yes, international student. Mm hmm. Is there a, a large international student uh, group on Mizzou's campus? Oh, yeah, definitely. They actually have an international center with different um, departments for like each country or um, each region. And you're assigned an advisor. And, yeah, it, it is a lot. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. is this your, ac not your academic advisor or is it? Right. This is, this is your, I mean, I guess they just call it your international advisor. So they help okay. you with things regarding your visa, your passport, immigration. Um, sometimes it can help with like funding if mm -hmm. you're having issues, especially like now with COVID, they have like, um, they call it, I think a critical fund where, you know, they help out students with groceries or bills or 
So a lot of, I mean, I guess everything about your college experience, they kind of help us, but they're not your academic advisor. Okay, boy, good to have a, a people on your team. <laughs> mm -hmm. They, yeah, they're they're very supportive, very resourceful. So, definitely grateful for that. I know we had a, a international student association at uh, Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, I don't recall if they had developed enough to have advisors for students. Uh... Uh, I mean, so I think every school. Um, technically has an international advisor, but the smaller the school or the smaller the international population, then, you know, the smaller the program is. But at Mizzou, I think because of, um, you know, we're, like students are from all over the world, so it's an actual center with multiple advisors because yeah. of the magnitude. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us uh what your committee just approved everything is it mm -hmm. so i defended my dissertation and got my pass in and then you have to fill out your forms and you know and then you're done and mm -hmm. it's not as um like everyone is like how does it feel it it feels like nothing <laughs> <laughs> um there's no big hurrah because uh -huh. you've been working on this like i've been working on this for years mm -hmm. um so, you know, like there, there's not really an end point with a PhD because, you know, as soon as I defended my dissertation, like I, you know, I was very intentional about like stopping and acknowledging that, but then it was like, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. Like, it, like the research continues, whatever you're doing, like there's no end point to it. It always keeps going. So I think that's why it's kind of hard to like feel anything because it's just it's it's just another day's work pretty much i mean you're happy to be done with it but yeah and so far people well i don't know you are starting to teach some classes uh aren't you yeah so i i taught so i taught before i left for internship and then now i'm back from internship um i am teaching again so i'm teaching cultural diversity um which is kind of like my area uh-huh so yeah. I'm, what I'm what really was your dissertation in? Is did it include cultural diversity? Mm -hmm. So um, my dissertation, I created a, I call it a, an intervention, but it can be like a tool or a workshop that um, increases cultural humility. Um, so we're we're kind of working away from cultural competence and going towards humility because with competence, it suggests that there's an endpoint, and there's no endpoint. Like. Culture is massive. It's always changing. It's dynamic. There's like inter-group differences. There's intra-group differences. Like no one person can speak for a specific culture. And then you throw in all these other different identities, right? So with cultural humility, um, it kind of highlights the fact that it's more of a process that's lifelong. Um, and there, there's no end point. You're constantly learning. You're constantly having to be you know, self-aware, being reflective, identifying your biases, continuous learning, um, doing your own, doing your own research, learning skills, so you can do your own research. Um, so my tool that I created was um, for people to use that to improve or increase their cultural humility, and um, it was specific to educators. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Because uh, a lot of teacher preparation programs, um, 
they will have one or two cultural diversity class, but they don't put as much emphasis or importance on um, being able to serve diverse learners as they should. So a lot of teachers are not prepared, or if they think they're prepared, um, most of the time they probably lack a little bit of like self-awareness. <laughs> and by the time they figure it out, the consequences, you know, can be massive, life-changing, you know. Oh. For example, school's prison pipeline. So my my tool or my intervention was to try to combat that, like having more exposure before they're in the classroom. So you're using the word humility, is that right? Yeah, so cultural humility as opposed to cultural competence. Yeah, humility doesn't seem to be the opposite of competence. Right. But if you feel as though you're competent, does that give you a superior? Are you trying to combat superiority? Uh, I, I would say less about superiority and more about like that constant urge of wanting to be a lifelong learner. Because if you think you're competent in something, you might not see the need to for continuous growth. Mm -hmm. Right. So competence and humility are not opposites. And they actually could work together where if if you can kind of frame it where you are working towards a competence that you might never achieve. Mm -hmm. So it could work that way. But but cultural competence on its own suggests that you can get to 100 percent, which is not which is not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it closes people off from like opportunities for growth where if they were more aware that this is something that I will have to work on forever, mm -hmm. they're more likely, you know, to seek out different opportunities to get there. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to keep working with you on this because mm -hmm. I'd like to really have a, a much better understanding of competence in cultural diversity or what is the competence in? So... For say, for example, in education specifically, mm -hmm. it's like competence that, you know, in, in all cultures, meaning like I can serve all of my students from diverse backgrounds because I am fully competent in all of their cultures. So I know like how to be responsive to all of their needs, which mm. is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so the goal could be to be competent or more competent, as you're saying, a lifelong learning mm -hmm. incompetence. And while you're learning, I guess you're, I'm going to say that learning requires humility because you're saying, I don't know and mm -hmm. I want to know. Is that kind of how exactly. you're using humility? Yep. Exactly. Oh, great. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't. Uh, say, like you've already said, get our PhD and think we know it all, it's a continual process. Mm -hmm. It's more of the opposite, actually. Like, I think that the more I study and the closer I got to my PhD, the more I'm like, oh, my God, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, the more you learn, the more you realize, like, how very little you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I think I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So is there a, a title for your dissertation that is uh, not oh too God. too much yes. lingo for us to hear about? 
it is very long, but I'll, <laughs> but just because I had to explain everything, but I'll say very slowly. So, actually, I'll read it to you so you can oh, hear okay. it. Oh, okay. Sure. Great. So, basically, it's embedding components of the right and race intervention in a cultural diversity course for pre-service teachers to increase cultural humility and the likelihood for future implementation of instructional strategies designed to improve school climate, sense of belonging, and teacher-student relationships for diverse students. That is a lot, I know. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite a book title. So <laughs> basically, it's saying I used my intervention that's called Right on Race, um, and it was embedded in a cultural diversity course. So they already had a syllabus, and the project or the intervention was embedded in that class. So I'm going um, to spell out for the listening audience, right is W-R-I-T-E mm -hmm. on race, R-A-C-E. So, mm -hmm. so there was writing, like journal yep. keeping and so on? Yep. And there were specific, um, there were specific journal prompts that were um, attached to certain themes to, to build very targeted skills. Um, so, for example, one of the theme was treating identities as assets. So, you know, like seeing the differences in your students as a strength versus an issue and learning how to use those um, to build them up, to build their self-esteem, to build their self-efficacy. Um, so, so then there would be like a prompt that worked on like self-awareness and reflection Right. And then, for example, another theme would be like interdependence mm -hmm. and empathy. Mm -hmm. So there would be a prompt about like that have people reflect on when, you know, certain aspects of their identity was challenged and how they felt and how they reacted mm -hmm. and in retrospect, how they could have reacted. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of skill building that was very specific to the themes of the intervention. Mm -hmm. And the goal was the increased cultural humility. That was the main goal, but then in in addition to doing that, there are other things that could happen in the meanwhile that's also um, important. So that's improving the social climate, building relationship with your students, and like creating spaces that promote a sense of belonging. So that's mm -hmm. why it was so long. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful, yeah. So if you actually put together a, uh, a workbook or... A book for people to buy, you might call it Write on Race mm -hmm. or with a subtitle and make it available for not just uh, teacher ed people, mm -hmm. but uh, for all of us. Is that right? Because mm -hmm. this can be adapted to any, any, any environment, any context, right? Because when you think about it, everyone wants to be somewhere that's safe you know, and has a positive social climate, um, we're human. So we want, you know, effective, healthy relationships. And we all have the need to feel like we belong, regardless of the context. So this can be used in like, corporate, it can be used in schools, it can be used in healthcare. Um, so my goal is to um, manualize the intervention. So that people can use it and adapt it different ways. Um, I'm hoping to do a lot of like consultations and trainings across different contexts and yeah. 
-hmm. lots of fun stuff in the works, which is why, (laughs) you know, like I said, it just keeps going. (laughs) Yes, it does. And uh, you're continuing to learn, as hopefully we all Mm -hmm. are. Right. Uh, So uh, you said you've been doing this for years, working on it. How many years? So four years of school, and then you go on internship for a year. Mm-hmm. So I was away in Wisconsin for a year. Um, that was 2020 to 2021. Mm-hmm. And how did that go up in Wisconsin? Boy, kind of co- cold <laughs> up there. It was interesting. So, um, so my so I'm in school psychology, and and typically when um, we go on in, um, internship, it's typically like whether they go in clinics or hospitals or schools. And um, I wanted to do something different because I was really interested in um, social justice and education. And I was also super interested in the school to prison pipeline. So I figured like, okay, one of the best ways to learn is to like be in the system. Mm -hmm. So I did mine with Wisconsin Department of Corrections. Um, So I was in a juvenile detention center. Oh, okay. And this was my first time working in um, that setting. Mm-hmm. But I think it, I would have to say, is probably one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Where mm. as much as I was just empty and drained after work every day, I was like, I was so fueled by purpose. Like I felt that I was making a difference. I felt like I, I was doing exactly what I needed to be doing. Um, so there I worked with, um, you know, juvenile offenders and their crimes were, they, it was ranged from as heinous as you could imagine to, hmm. you know, just all over the board. Hmm. So even, you know, people who have committed murders hmm. and sexual crimes and just across the board. Um, hmm. And then age 12 to early 20s, because oh. if they got sentenced um, and sometimes they get to spend their entire sentence there, depending on the crime and how long. Oh. So they can be over 18. Hmm. Um, but And the ones that are older are typically in different um, housing. You know, they keep them apart from the younger ones. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the youngest ones, you know, like 12 or 13, because of their vulnerability, oftentimes we try to get them out of that facility and more on more to one that's like specific extensive mental health mm-hmm. without the corrections piece because mm-hmm. they're just so young right um but it was it was definitely an eye-opening experience and it it just kind of reignited my light and reminded me of like why i was doing what i was doing um and just just how much like this was my purpose mm-hmm. um i got to do one-on-one therapy group therapy training mm-hmm. with the staff you know, psychological assessments, a lot of testing, just just everything. Um, and then in the evenings, I would do um, just different fun group activities with them. So we do like talk about different podcasts or and I even like brought my intervention where I um, taught them how to have effective conversations about race because majority of the kids there were black and majority of the staff were white. Oh, wow. So there was a big... <laughs> There was a big, like, I was one of, like, maybe two black staff there or three, Hmm. and over 90% of the kids were black. So there was a big, you know, discrepancy with culture Mm -hmm. and race 
and power and um a lot of people didn't really they couldn't see it they just saw like okay these are criminals um they made a decision to do what they did and they're here and you know i i really tried to change that narrative to you know some of these kids did the best that they could with what they had Mm -hmm. um it's easier for us to judge because we have all these protective factors right we have you know we have a we have a loving home we're safe we have food we have coaches we have all different things that some of them don't have some of them are 14 and they've lived three lives already mm-hmm. uh, like they're taking care of their family at 12. so mm-hmm. a lot of times the, the the outcome of what they did and this is not an excuse but the outcome of what they did sometimes was they were they were making at that age they were making the best decision they could with the tools that they had and that was very hard for um some people to swallow i guess mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it was definitely super interesting um i remember like one of my one of the things i will never forget from that experience is um i would go because you know you had like units that were like you know the tough the, the tough boys that are more like violent and so I would hang out with them in the evenings. Sometimes we put a movie on, play dominoes, card games, whatever. And luckily, I think because of, you know, representation and meeting them where they're at, mm-hmm. um, even with all of the different like staff assaults and violence that have happened, I've never felt unsafe there. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm one of probably very few people that can ever say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the kids, they became very, um, protective of me so mm-hmm. if they're acting a certain way and i'm around like they're less likely to be violent if i'm there mm-hmm. um and regardless of how you know reg- dysregulated they are like i can usually talk them down and, and i think it just became like a trust thing mm-hmm. where like when i see them it's not like oh my god these animals need to get in the crate but i see like okay this person's hurting what is wrong let's talk about it mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, there's two sides to that. One side is I know they're not going to hurt me. So it's much easier for me to do that than someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side is just seeing them as like kids who've made bad decisions and are hurting and mm-hmm. like they need help and support versus animals. Right. right. Because you can't expect to treat someone like an animal and then you're surprised when they act like an animal. Yeah. Good. So, point. but yeah. I remember one of the kids said to me, um, that like pretty much he said like seeing you here working every day is a reminder that I'm more than a statistic and when I leave here I don't have to go to jail or die and I literally probably cried for a week mm-hmm. after that but just the little things they say to you mm-hmm. um, just because you're black and you're there mm-hmm. and how just how much of a difference that makes like it breaks your heart and warms your heart at the same time, yeah. you know, yeah. um, just, you know, sometimes they're so dysregulated that there's like 10 guards, you mm. know, there to take them down. And I'm just like, give me mm. two minutes. Mm. And I'm just sitting on the floor with them. And they're like, you know, I don't want to talk. I'm like, you know, we don't have to talk. I'm just going to sit here and breathe. And it's just, it's such tiny little things like that, that can prevent massive outbreaks and massive like acts of violence Mm -hmm. but for some reason it's just never like the first step 
<laughs> and that's just so sad, you know, yeah. because these a lot of these kids grew up on the street, right? So, mm -hmm. like, they're always thinking about survival. Mm -hmm. They're always in fighter mode. So if you call a bunch of, you know, guards, they're not going to de-escalate. Like, that's not how you calm them down. They're going to be preparing to fight. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was definitely tough. Ruffled a lot of feathers, but that's just kind of the person I am. So <laughs> <laughs> I was not, you know, really concerned about that. Yeah. Um, but I, it was really great experience. And I got to even meet um, like the head for the state. And he was just, he was just fabulous. Like he was awesome. He was very resourceful. He would come and, you know, the, 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 the guys there would like give him a tour of the facility and he would sit and talk to them and he was just exactly what you would want to see in like someone that's a leader mm -hmm. um and it was that was like very like promising to see mm -hmm. and the kids really really appreciated him too Good. so it was well, but yeah it was an experience that's for sure let me uh, just take a break uh and reintroduce you uh, nikita mm -hmm. Uh, welcome, folks, to uh, Local News in Social Artistry. I'm glad you're with us this afternoon uh, here on KOPN.org, your community radio station. Uh, or you might be just uh, picking up on the podcast that uh, the link was on Facebook or wherever you might have seen the link. And uh, glad, you're, glad you're with us. Uh, we always talk to people that are building a more humane world. And... Uh, my guest today, Nikita Coombs, has just uh, completed her PhD in, uh, would you, you don't call it educational psychology, you call it psychology. Um, well, we call it school psychology. School psychology, okay. Mm -hmm. Because you got to pick between serving in a school setting or an agency or mm -hmm. something like that, yeah. And uh, Nikita's from Kingston, Jamaica, been in the U.S. Uh, well, you're for a very long time. Oh yeah. <laughs> did Did you come uh, just for college, or you had moved here with family before that? Uh, well, just for college and sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was 2008, which seems ancient right now. <laughs> and you started out up at uh, University North Dakota, of... University yeah. of Mary in North Dakota. Where do these northern uh, states, uh, <laughs> and you're yeah. from Jamaica, you're most... Uh... Mm -hmm. I think, I think, and I, it's funny you asked that because I thought about that as I was writing the acknowledgement for my dissertation. But I think, you know, when you grow up poor, you jump at any opportunity you get, regardless of where it is. You know, you mm -hmm. don't have, you, you can't, you can't think about location at that point. So... You know, whoever is offering me a scholarship for school mm -hmm. and you're paying for everything, like, I do not care where you are. I am going. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's kind of stuck with me. And that's why I've moved so much. And sometimes it's in the north where a lot of opportunities are because a lot of people are like, oh, it's so cold. I don't want to go. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I will adapt. I will go where the opportunity is. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's how I ended up there. But I'm I'm happy I went there because... You know, I met one of the most important people in my life there, mm. and that was my college coach. Mm -hmm. uh, and he he just means the world to me because just 
there's a lot that I, that I learned late in my life and I learned from him mm-hmm. and we've kept a connection ever since. So mm-hmm. I still talk to him very often, even now. Wonderful. So I'm, I'm glad that happened. So a mentor friendship, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, Definitely. that's great. Yes. Uh, so you're growing up in Kingston, which is a fairly large city, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. In terms of Jamaica, it's a large city. Maybe right. not. Because yeah, when you live on an island, you, and this will sound weird, but you don't really realize you live in an island until you go somewhere where it's not, where there are no ocean or no water bodies, and then it really hits you. you know? mm-hmm. So people ask, like, you know, how is it to live in an island? You don't really realize that you live in an island. <laughs> until you have somewhere else to compare it to but yeah i'd say pretty pretty big mm-hmm. so the way that uh you were able to in a, in a way get out or get away was through athletics exactly mm-hmm. and, and so you started what did you start in junior high uh in... oh no. no we start as soon as we can walk oh oh Okay. Like, so we start very young and I'm talking about like organized official sports, not wow. not just like, you know, oh, you're just doing it for fun. No, we are going to practice and everything like very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's it's beneficial because we know we know what like what sport we want to do um, much earlier. Mm hmm. Versus trying it out in high school and then deciding. Like, right. so I've been running for as long as I can remember, like mm-hmm. my entire life. And I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. Wow. So you had a, a goal, uh, you had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you probably knew where it could take you. Mm-hmm. And so when you got to Wisconsin, to this, uh, uh, juvenile detention center i imagine a bunch of these kids were from a city situation mm-hmm. and uh, and some of them were really really great athletes like in their state in their district wow as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so is, did you find out how they got there and why the percentage of people were black I mean, 90%, that seems mm-hmm. odd. Well, so a lot of, I think a lot of them come from like, you know, Milwaukee mm-hmm. and Green Bay. And I think um, those populations have a lot of black, um, black they have a lot of black um, people, African-American mm-hmm. in those populations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's some of them that like, you know, when you ask them like how they got where they are, um, if, you know, if they were recruited or, you know, what happened, some of them, it's just, it's almost like this is what happens in their, with the men in their family. And you just kind of know, like, it's either you do this or you die. And mm. and they talk a lot about how, you know, when you want to change or you're trying to change what's been happening over generations, it typically does not end well. Mm. Um, because that's when you start letting your guards down. Mm-hmm. So for some of them, it's a survival thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then part part of it, of course, you know, I'm not going to not say it is racism and disproportionality and racial disparities mm-hmm. 
environmental racism, whether it's, um, or, or even in schools, you know, with the school to prison pipeline, where, you know, black kids are like four times punished more harshly for the same things that their white peers do. So it's, it's, it's so many factors that are working against them. They have way more risk factors and they are protective factors. You know, for example, maybe some of their their families are broken up because their dad has a charge for marijuana. Mm -hmm. But then look right now, it's like, oh, we have like, you know, rich white men all of a sudden are pro marijuana because mm -hmm. they can make some money, except these these black families are still broken, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know the the consequences of that is 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 hard, um, but you know no one really wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, like there there's just so much, almost like a butterfly effect of a lot of these decisions mm -hmm. and these policies that we make, um, and we don't sometimes we don't stop to think about how we're impacting other people's lives even years down the road. Mm -hmm. um, well so I think uh, there's just different the different kids have like different scenarios um some of them uh you know they they became orphans and they just had to do what they needed to do, do to survive um majority of them are you know they have history of trauma yeah so you know and or or you know they've been abused or um a lot of them just like they've they've had a really rough life and yeah especially for their age, it's just like the, the things they've been through, like no one should have to go through that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really sad when you ask them about their hobbies or just small things about themselves and they really have to think because no one has ever asked them that. Wow. Hmm. Um, you know, they have, they still go to school there. So, um, you know, I'll help them with their homework or help them prep for tests and they'll get, some of them like got their high school diploma and they'll like come find me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you say like you're proud of them and like the reaction, because no one has ever said that or they've never really achieved anything big. They've always just given up because this, that's just kind of how they know or they don't believe that you'll like see them through because no one has ever done that. Mm -hmm. um, it's just these little things that, you know, as teenagers, like those are necessary, like they need they need these protective factors that they don't have. Um, you know, they just hear how much, how bad they are and what they're doing wrong. And, yeah. and no one just takes the time to just talk to them. Yeah. You know, like a lot of times that's the, you know, that's the feedback I get. They're like, you know, they don't see us as people. No one just comes in and asks us how our day is, or, you know, no one, no one just talks to us like a normal person. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if I'm out, if I'm in the back playing basketball with them, They'll say like, oh, be careful because, you know, anything can happen to you back there. And I'm just like, we're literally just playing basketball. So it's just, it's just these little things of like how you treat them. You're kind of molding this, the, the very behavior you don't want. Yeah. And um, with a lot of these kids growing up on the street, like they're very, like they notice everything. Like that's a skill they have. And they've had to, ha you know, they had to practice that to survive. So they're really good at reading your behavior and, and 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 seeing how you view them and and that's super important so yeah wow what an education mm -hmm. for all of us uh, you're familiar maybe i guess uh they still teach uh adverse childhood experiences ace 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's like one of the assessments that we can do um, to see, you know, about childhood trauma and things like that. Um, I think one of the hard parts with this population specifically is a lot of things that have happened to them has happened to their friends. Mm-hmm. So they will not see it as trauma or see it as adverse because it's to, in their life that's the norm yeah they don't really know how to identify something as traumatic mm. um so so it's yeah so it's typically it's kind of hard to really like express to them that even though it is it happens to everyone in your community like that doesn't make it any more okay or any less traumatic right mm. So that's the the whole thing of uh, don't get used to mm-hmm. trauma. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah. I know for some people it gets to be comfortable, mm-hmm. and that that's like when that becomes your comfort zone, like we're we're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. You know. But if they haven't had uh, alternative mm-hmm. environmental opportunities. Then, then you know people do. will use what they have mm-hmm. you right. know until better comes and for some people unfortunately better never comes um and i think i think you know it's it's very foolish to think that we all have the same 24 hours and we all have the same opportunities mm-hmm. and like that that is not true mm-hmm. um some of us are just dealt a very tough hand yeah and are doing the best they can with what's been dealt. And some you know, of us have been given beautiful hands over and over again. Um, and a lot of times, no fault of our own, of course, but for us to not see the differences and the inequalities between us and other people, like that's foolish. It doesn't make sense. It, it does no one any good. Mm-hmm. You know, I even go so far as to say those. Uh, white colleagues that you were working with in the detention center Mm -hmm. were doing the best they could with the things that they had because of their um, worldview. Their their point of view was so rigidly put into them through experiences Mm -hmm. of life, etc., that they may not have known they had an alternate way to even think or to view these young Mm -hmm. people i think i wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with you um but to follow up that i think that that will only be as good until you're being taught better and you're you're resistant to Mm -hmm. that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so for example like it's a it's okay to think what you think, but once you know better or you're exposed to better, you're you're expected to improve, right? So you're doing the best you can with what you have, but then once you're given more, for example, like you're being educated, it is expected that as an adult, you do better. Well, <laughs> you know... What, what do you I, think about that? I, I can't... Uh... I can't say that I expect people to do better simply because they have been exposed to an alternate uh, viewpoint Mm -hmm. because really they may not see it as an alternate viewpoint. 
they may right. think that it's crazy or you're 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 the one that's in left field for approaching it that way uh i'm doing the right thing because this is the way it's worked for us for hundreds of years you know <laughs> yeah but 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 the data shows that it actually has not worked that well for uh, all those years so you know if we're actually like say doing database decision making mm -hmm. then then you'd see that you know it, it really hasn't been working as well as you think or maybe it's working for a certain group of people and that's when we go back to the notion of interdependence mm -hmm. we're all improving or we're not you might, you might think you are mm -hmm. you know on a standalone basis but if if we're not improving as a society mm -hmm. then eventually we're all going to suffer for whatever it is mm -hmm. so you know i think I think I'm much harder on them because especially if I've seen them do that same thing in a different context, mm -hmm. I know they possess the skill and they might be purposefully not doing what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm, it, it depends on the situation, but I, I'm definitely not as empathetic when it comes to um, working with kids and um, not, not using best practices, not treating them fairly unjustly um that's very close to my heart and i'm very mm -hmm. very critical mm -hmm. when it comes to that in particular and that's like me identifying my biases right um <laughs> so does. it's much it's much harder for me to empathize with anything that's related to disproportionality or racial disparities racism anything like that um and adults it's it's harder for me to you know give them time to learn or like it's it's 2022 mm -hmm. like come on it's 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 been so much time and like so many people have lost their lives while i'm giving you time it's 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 mm -hmm. very very hard for me to be empathetic in mm -hmm. these situations yeah and so when just a little um, asking another question if you're mm -hmm. not empathetic how do you feel i think because of my training even mm -hmm. if i'm not per se empathetic i can still be hopeful at the same time oh, okay um, mm -hmm. in terms of like continue to still like motivate or promote or educate you know what i mean like mm -hmm. still doing things that can evoke change but also still not empathetic to them needing more time if that mm. makes sense it's mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a weird thing to think about so it's more like you know i'm i'm i'm, an, I'm annoyed or i'm just frustrated but i'm also not giving up because mm -hmm. we're in a time uh you said 2022 but i don't know if you watch the news uh or where you get your news but there is a lot of uh division Mm -hmm. And a lot of it uh, has to do with racial issues, but sometimes mm -hmm. it has to do with um, interpreting what is true and not true mm -hmm. through someone's uh, filter. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that filter, uh, and they don't agree with my filter. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, then we have this this inability to communicate because we're we're really calling black white and white black uh, it, you know it's, it's it seems that 
drastically different. Uh, are you? I, I don't think. That? Well, I think I do see. Um, I do see like it fluctuates. Like on some issues, I see um, a lot of community across racial groups, mm -hmm. and then on other issues, not so much. Um, and I think you know, there's there's a lot where there's like a muddy water or a middle ground or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time. I think there there is still a lot of evidence typically on one side or the other. Like if you're able to kind of think, use a logical mind, um, and and which is funny because part of my intervention is the writing part is it provides you like with the time and space to feel how you feel and acknowledge how you feel and write how you feel, so that when it comes time for a discussion it's not purely emotional because you already process that as you're journaling mm, okay right because mm. uh, you know and that's a big barrier to communication is when you're just so emotionally like ramped up and that mm. can happen to anyone regardless of training or race or whatever mm -hmm. um and that was one of the big parts of like putting writing within my within that project because you know i think we're all we should all be able to express how we feel and self learn to self validate so then what, by the what time does that you, mean tell us what... um like you don't like you don't need someone else to tell you it's okay to feel how you feel like you learn to to process it with yourself pretty much if i feel as though i'm right so you'll write I... about why you think you're right and <laughs> you know kind of work it through your head by the same time when someone else is telling you something else you you're a you're more there's a higher likelihood that you'll be able to listen to them because you've already processed all of that emotion hmm. ahead of time. So you're not coming in expecting like you're like someone else to validate your feelings because this is your first time expressing it. You've already kind of had your time to let it simmer and think about it and hmm. write about it, process it. And I think hmm. that definitely helps um, to improve the communication. And even if it ends where you're still like, this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. um there's still there was still communication which mm -hmm. is still better than none mm -hmm. because you know not everyone you're not going to change everybody's mind mm -hmm. right but the more the, the the more you can communicate with each other the, the better it is that you know you're working towards like collaborating working towards some kind of improvement mm -hmm. whatever that might be well let me take a, another short break uh, nikita and mm -hmm. uh, say hi to folks listening today on kopn.org or community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. This is Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm the host, Dick Dalton. Uh, we're talking to people each week that are building a more humane world from the inside out. Today, my guest is Nikita Coombs, uh, a PhD uh, graduate from Mizzou in the College of Education. And uh, school psychology is her particular uh, niche. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're talking about uh, how we can help people reflect on, um, what would you say? Reflect I would say on- process, process like difficult dialogues that they're gonna have or sensitive topics, how they can process those ahead of time. So they can communicate more effectively and more okay. rationally. 
So you're teaching a, a course this semester in cultural diversity. Mm-hmm. And so I've taught that. I've taught that course before. Well, and it, but it might be different now that you mm-hmm. have this experience that you've done with your mm-hmm. dissertation and your work in and it's, Wisconsin. And it's different student. It's I mean, it's different every time I teach it mm-hmm. because the students are different. The social sociopolitical climate is different. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's different each time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be different. And so what I'm kind of getting at is, in a way, you have a captive audience because they're signed up, they're paying for your class. Mm-hmm. And so you have X number of hours and requirements that you can mm-hmm. give. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of us, we have our, our days, our jobs, or I'm retired, but, you know, there things happen. Mm-hmm. And to take time to write or reflect is is not, I don't know that that's everybody's uh, cup of tea, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, that's just one component, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, people, there's, a, there's various ways to, to self-reflect. Um, personally, I love to write and I love to journal, so that works really well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who prefer things like this, having just having a discussion mm-hmm. or listening to a podcast and reflecting just, you know, in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's such a it's such an e- easy skill to acquire and quick because, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of us are we're so busy, always on the go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, setting aside five minutes is doable. Um, and a lot of these things that we think should just be something that we know how to do um we we are setting ourselves up to fail because there are skills that we have to learn just like we learn any other skill mm-hmm. you know having effective dialogue about sensitive or difficult topic that's a skill you have to learn mm-hmm. and the, the more you practice it and get feedback the better you get at it regardless of race or background mm-hmm. um so a lot of these things are just like skills that you might be struggling because you haven't learned the skill yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being open to learning and open to growing, you know, again, cultural hum- humility, mm-hmm. um, it makes it it makes it easier, makes it better, um, regardless so, of where you are in life, even. So, so you had a coach in track mm-hmm. that would give you feedback and make suggestions and mm-hmm. uh, improve your skill mm-hmm. in track. Mm-hmm. So how are you able to give uh, feedback and is there a set of sort of uh, norms or something that 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 could be given to people to improve their skill or is it simply reflective um, um so I, no I think there's there's quite a few things that are helpful um for one having like setting up like group, like if you're in a group setting, having um, expectations and norms, right? So for example, for me, um, I whenever, depending on the topic, I make sure that it is a, a judgment-free tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something that I can relate to more, um, I put the attention on myself and my mistake or whatever it is that I've done first, mm-hmm. I put myself out there mm-hmm. and I think that allows other people to let their guards down to realize that I'm not on, 
you know, on my horse talking down to you. Mm -hmm. Like we're learning together. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like community problem solving, collaborating. So for example, when I'm teaching about white privilege, okay. um, that's just one that's based on race, right? But there's other types of privileges. And I talk about, um, this is my fifth college degree. And I've, my first two were funded athletic scholarships, right? Mm -hmm. And then my all the other ones were full academic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not from this country. And there's a lot of people who are just as skilled, just as you know, intelligent or smart or whatever, just as capable that did not get those opportunities that I got. Mm -hmm. um, and they could have been where I am and they're not. Hmm. That's not, you know, that's not, that's not my fault per se, but at the same time, I can make sure that I use my opportunities to pay it forward in such a way that, you know, like it benefits more than just me. Mm -hmm. And I might use that example before I teach about different types of privileges, just so like, you know, it, it sets a, it sets a, a different tone mm -hmm. versus I'm just going in saying like, you know, as a black woman, like this, this, and this, like people will keep their guards up because it, it might feel like they're being targeted. And a lot of times, you know, what I found is a lot of people don't even know truly what white privilege means because mm -hmm. Their first response is typical, like, I work for everything I have. And it's right. like, no one says you didn't. But, you know, things that work against you are not because of your skin color. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, you can have white privilege and you've had to work really hard for everything you have. Mm -hmm. It's just that you are not being denied certain opportunities or treated unfairly because of how you look like. Like it has nothing to do with your work ethic. Mm -hmm. um, and very few people I've found even understand that because just based on their responses kind of tell you what they think it is. Mm -hmm. So I try to find ways to meet them in the middle where it's like, I'm going to be vulnerable and express to you. So you realize like I'm not perfect and I have my own issues and I'm learning with you so that you know when it, when it comes for you to assess and reflect and be aware like you're more comfortable doing so because you know we're building a certain level of trust and understanding and respect mm -hmm. so that's just like one way of, that i go about doing things in your experiences there at mizzou have you experienced what uh some black students call microaggressions <laughs> oh yes <laughs> I I don't think there I don't think you could ask any black woman or man in higher ed that question and they would say no unless they're not um, you know very observant. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I have and you know this I have a lot of tattoos. Um, I look some say I look much younger than I am. So, you know, when I show up to conferences or even when my first time to go teach a class, <laughs> I think like people are struck because their idea of educated or a leader or, or an educator or whatever typically is, you know, white, male, older <laughs> than what than white, female. And, you know, it goes down the line where I'm like at the bottom, like fourth or whatever. Mm -hmm. um so they give you this look as like 
you're out of place mm -hmm. or they ask you why you're where you are mm -hmm. um, or sometimes even just like the some of the questions they ask like the intention might be you know it might be well intended and they're trying to get to know you but the outcome is a reminder that you don't belong or mm. they see you out of place you know what I mean and like for me that's very touchy mm -hmm. because one I'm international mm -hmm. and I've been away from my country for so long that when I go home there I feel um out of place as well because things mm. have changed so much and people remind you that you're not really Jamaican anymore. You haven't lived here for what, you know, right. over a decade, blah, blah, blah. And then you come here and, oh, you have an accent. And, you know, when are you going home? And what are you doing after this? And, like, it's it's a constant reminder of, like, okay, I have no sense of belonging. I don't even know where home is anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, and even when things are well-intentioned, it does that doesn't matter if the outcome is hurtful, you know? Yeah. So I've had some well-intentioned, but I've had like specific microaggressions to where it's like, you know, if I'm, if I speak up about something, I'm aggressive and I'm rude and I'm loud. But if someone else does it, that doesn't look like me, you know, they're just like very passionate about the topic. Um, things like that. Like people try, people try really hard to fit you in a box. Um, of what they think you should look like and they hide it behind professionalism mm -hmm. which is a word that I despise mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because it just basically one, wants you to look act and, and think a certain way mm -hmm. or you know you're you're you don't belong mm -hmm. and I've had to deal with that a lot mm -hmm. a lot a lot let me just add on that last thing you said you experience those things even though you have been working hard the whole your whole life my and yet entire you still, life you still experience those microaggressions and mm -hmm. well i am sorry to say that we are about out of time nikita mm -hmm. coombs dr coombs so thanks thank for having me oh thanks nikita and friends uh, remember wherever you are that is your world Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.